Good morning, witches. This is the Witch Daily Show, coming to you from New Orleans, with host Tanya Brown. Our episodes span about 20 minutes long to give you just a little pop of magic. So, tune in, take a deep breath, and enjoy. Good morning. It is February 26th, 2024. It is Monday. I am Tanya, and this is the Witch Daily Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Weed Witches Journal. So let's get your day going with a little magic. Our quote of the day is, love yourself enough to set boundaries. Your time and energy are precious. You get to choose how you use it. You teach people how to treat you by deciding what you will and won't accept by Anna Taylor. So this week we're talking about marjoram. This is an herb I see like in every spice rack, but I have no idea what it's for or how to use it. And I've never seen it in a tea. I've never seen it in a spell. So I was like, you know what? We need to crack the case on marjoram. So today we're going over the history of marjoram, and this is from asiagoboston.com. So the marjoram herb is indigenous to the Mediterranean. It also grows in Cyprus, Turkey, and the Abraham Peninsula, and Western Asia. The Greeks and Romans associated marjoram with happiness. It was also used as a medicinal plant that was said to function as an antiseptic. And during the Middle Ages, marjoram was one of the herbs and spices that made its way from the British Isles and was used extensively there. So it's used in cooking, uh, typically things like tomato sauce, pizza sauce, things like that. Uh, But yeah, pretty interesting. I'm excited to to talk about it this week, go over the lore, medicinal, magical, and kind of see what we end up with. Maybe marjoram will be like the next big witch herb. Hmm. All right, moving into some headlines. This comes from NPR.org. This was actually posted on our Facebook group from one of our listeners. So as you know, for the month of December, uh, I raised money. We raised money for RIP medical debt. And basically a dollar from every tea sold from sipaspell.com, a dollar from every printed magazine sold on Which Way Magazine, plus uh, advertising for our yearly special went to RIP medical debt. And I think we raised enough to pay off like over 20 grand of medical debt, which is incredible. But one of our listeners saw this article and shared it. A growing wave of local governments are erasing billions in medical debt. This week, New York City pledged to pay down $2 billion worth of residents' medical debt. In doing so, it has come around to an innovation that started with local governments in the Midwest and ridding millions of Americans with health care debt. The idea emerged a couple of years ago in Cook County, Illinois, home to Chicago and surrounding towns. Tony Perkwinkle, president of the County Board of Commissioners, says two staffers came to her with a bold proposal. The county could spend a portion of its federal pandemic rescue funds to relieve a re- residents' medical debt. 
The result, in 2022, Cook County became the first local government to partner with RIP Medical Debt, a nonprofit group that uses private donor funds to buy up and pay off medical debt or care healthcare debts. RIP's model turns debt collection on its head. Normally, debt collectors buy unpaid bills and then try to collect the owed funds. RIP identifies unpaid hospital bills owed by people making up for, up to four times the federal poverty level, then buys that debt on secondary markets or directly from hospitals at a small fraction of the original value. Instead of trying to collect, RIP forgives it, so it simply disappears for the patients who owe. And I think that's really cool. So it's really cool seeing that the government is like getting involved in this. They're like, oh, if this like small charity can do it, we can do it too. And I think this is like the start of something really big. Uh, we should not have the debts that we have in the U.S. Uh, medical, student, well, personal. Um, I'm really excited to see that this is gaining momentum. And I'm super excited that we got to be a part of it. Okay, so I'm going to throw this over to our moon correspondent. And after this break, we will talk more. Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, coming at you with your daily moon mantra for Monday, February 26th. The waning gibbous moon moves from the dewy decimal of Virgo to the ornate halls of Libra today. Here, the moon trines Pluto. The trine to Pluto can allow us to access our deepest feelings. This can be both revealing and unsettling, depending on what's down there. The best thing to do is to come at this from a place of genuine concern and curiosity. Pluto tends to dig up the things we bury deeply and hide, even from ourselves. The trine allows us to face these things from a place of understanding. Give yourself some time to process, be understanding and patient with yourself, and think of this as an opportunity for growth instead of letting the feelings bog you down. Your daily moon mantra is, it's not the load that breaks you down. It's the way you carry it. This has been your Daily Moon Mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, signing off and reminding you that you are in charge of your own destiny. Interested in taking your weed witchery to the next level or wanting to get started? The Weed Witch's Journal by author Carrie Connor blends the worlds of cannabis and magic together to help you document, explore, and expand your daily practices. Dig deeper into yourself with intuitive insights, mystical visions, shadow work, or connect to nature for starters. Want to explore your creativity? Dive in with my vibe, inspirational ink, and the flower power activities. Looking to practice your skills? Get attuned with pendulum work and one card reading. Plus, document your practices with full moon, new moon, spell tracker, ritual tracker, and more. Order the Weed Witch's Journal now from your favorite bookshop or wherever books are sold. All right, we are back. So in the spirit of wrapping up February, I want us to talk about hand fasting. This is from Witchway Magazine, The Origins and Practices of a Pagan Wedding by Elise Wells. So with Valentine's Day falling this month, love is in the air. Engagements are imminent. Many witches and pagans might consider a hand fasting for their wedding. Hand fastings today are known as wedding ceremonies for modern witches, pagans, and spiritual practitioners. Their ceremony has its roots in 7000 BCE in ancient Britain and the Celtic lands and was actually quite mainstream until very recently. Um, actually, if you watched the wedding of um, Prince William and his wife, Catherine, um, they did a hand fasting during their wedding ceremony. 
In the past, particularly in church-ruled medieval England and up until the 1920s, the hand-fasting was seen as a peasant wedding. Until around 100 years ago, purchasing bans of marriage was the only way to get legally and officially married in the UK. This is still true, although today they're much more affordable. In the past, this was an expensive and time-consuming process, and most weren't in a position to afford this proper channel of marriage. The hand-fasting became a socially recognized way to get married and have a community celebration. Traditionally, hand-fasting lasts a year and a day, giving couples a period of time to get used to each other by living together in a socially acceptable way before committing to a lifelong bond of marriage. Some couples today may choose to renew their hand-fasting after a period of time or perform one as an engagement and a year and a day later have the actual wedding ceremony. The structure of hand-fasting can look different in various traditions, but one constant is the jumping of the broom or besom. This is a fun and significant practice. Brooms are practical and magical tools all at once. They purify and cleanse the space magically and physically and also represent domestic, uh, like domestic comfort. They are also liminal points, acting as a threshold when they are horizontal. We can invite energy or dismiss it with the besom, meaning as a tool it exists between life and death, good and bad. It is balance personified. When we jump the broom, we are crossing the threshold into a new life, a new role, and a new phase of being. The other key element of hand fasting is the tying of the hands. Usually a nine-foot cord is braided by the couple as part of an intimate night before the ceremony. Nine is significant as the number is numerologically connected to completion and commitment. Colors are chosen for their significance for the couple, such as purple for empathy, pink for love, red for passion, blue for clear communication, and white for inviting blessings, green for fertility if children are sought, or brown for staying grounded. The high priestess uh, or officiant will have the couple stack their hands and wrap them with the cord, tying it below their hands in knots of significance. Blessings are bestowed for each knot, such as may you be bonded in dedication to each other's happiness, or may your love inspire each other towards your personal goals. This can be a fun way to customize this ancient traditional ceremony. Hand fastings also traditionally include vows to each other, as well as the invocation of gods or goddesses that will serve as the newly combined household's protectors. If you are planning a hand fasting, consider the deities you and or your partner work with. And if not, there are some goddesses of the hearth that you might choose to begin a relationship with together. I love that idea. I love the idea of having like individual gods and goddesses that you work with but then having one you work with together as a couple, I think is really cool. Hestia or Vesta, respectively, the Greek and Roman goddesses of the hearth, are a perfect choice. Hera is the goddess of marriage and commitment. In fact, a popular book on hand fasting, Welcoming Hera's Blessing by Raven Caldera and Tannen Swartzine, uh, have Aphrodite being the goddess of love, or other deities connected to love such as Eros, Inanna, Cupid, or Venus. And these are all great choices. You also might choose to go with a deity that represents fertility, such as Freya, Demeter, Bridget, Hathor, or Ocean. Building, hosting, or participating in a hand fasting is a unique and beautiful spiritual tradition. It is a great way to make your wedding yours and dedicate your love to the gods. This is a powerful way to start a life together open to every spiritual practice to customize and make their own. 
If a hand fasting calls to you, reach out to the local pagan officiants or ask your coven leader if this is something they perform. There has been an increase in their popularity in recent years, especially, so you'll likely have options. Be sure to align the ceremony to your beliefs and needs and find an officiant willing to work with you on that. If you choose to have a hand fasting, may your day be blessed and beautiful and the life you start together passionate, inspiring, and full of laughter and joy. All right, so we have a question from one of our listeners, Kat. Kat says, I want to talk about the topic in August of dreams. How many witches on here are lucid dreamers? I am and have been for years. This was both out of necessity as I would have horrible nightmares from a young age. The first time I can remember actually taking change in a dream, I was six or seven. But to be consistent, I had to teach myself as a teen. In my 50s now, I don't do this that much. But as Tanya mentioned, it is fun as you can lead the dream in any direction you prefer. So Ashley responded, I might be. Whenever I have nightmares, I give myself magic powers to fight off whatever's attacking me. So I think that counts. Nat says, I do. I started doing it the last couple of years, and I've also been having precognitive dreams this year. For example, dreaming with a sense of urgency about my nephew, and then I wake up to find out he's in the ER. Another time I dreamed of my street about half a mile away, and my action was glued to it, and I just kept asking someone in my dream what was happening there. And the next morning, there was a bad accident there that shut the road down. So I will say, Nat, I think this is more just... um, like premonition dreams and not quite lucid dreaming. Heidi says, I lucid dream pretty frequently since about post high school age, mundane things and some fantasy things. I frequently have the problem in my late teens and early to late twenties of believing entire events that unfolded in my dream had already happened and were real. And when I woke up only to catch on that it wasn't. I also realized when I listened to the podcast, the majority of mine occur after I've woken earlier. Did something chill, like read or color, then went back to sleep, just like Tanya was talking about. This is a normal sleeping pattern for me. My more trippy dreams occur with this sleeping pattern. Yeah. like, And I think it's because you're not in a deep, 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 deep sleep. I think it's because when you awake and then fall back asleep, you're kind of in this in-between state. And I think lucid dreaming or receiving messages in that state is just much easier. Cassie says, I've done it several times accidentally in my teens and early 20s, but not recently. I remember trying once fairly recently, but it wasn't working like I wanted. And I don't remember anything after that. April says, I really resonated with what Tanya was saying about lucid dreams and how it can lead to astral projection. I have had two really profound dreams where perhaps they were lucid to start, but ultimately felt more like astral projection. One was swimming with an orca, and it was so real, so beautiful, and so moving. The second was last night. My daughter's birthday is August 9th, always around the Perseid meteor shower, and we usually go out one night and sleep on the grass. Well, we didn't this year and have missed the peak weekend, but last night I dreamt we had. I'm not sure if it was lucid or astral dreaming work retroactively, but I had my night watching the suiting stars. Oh. That is so sweet. Callisto says, listening to Tanya's description of lucid dreaming, I think my husband has this for most of his adult life. As long as he hasn't been on sedating medication or had a drink before bed, 
As a kid, he struggled with night terrors, and then as a young adult with persistent nightmares. But then in our 15 years together, he consistently dreamed solutions to complex problems from work and solutions to large equations he couldn't solve while at work. Listo, I agree. I think this, like, something you're saying is really resonating. This idea that, like, kind of similar to what um, Nat said, I think. Or I think so. Someone who was saying that they had nightmares and like it was a necessity. But I, that, like this idea that he had night terrors as a kid so he had to learn how to control his dreams. And now he's like a really active, lucid dreamer. This is really fun. Um, just to let you guys know, I am on TikTok under Witchway Magazine. And I am going to be doing a series on uh, cooking magic if you want to uh, check that out. I'll be doing that starting this week. So if that interests you. All right. So, um, last week I talked a little bit about morning routines and I reached out and asked you if, uh, some of our listeners could email with their morning routines and we got one. So, um, this is Teresa. Teresa says, hello, you asked for morning routines. I've been working on mine. I'm so not a morning person, but I see the wisdom in starting the day off well. Each morning before I leave work or get moving on the day's events, if I'm staying home, I light two candles on my altar and recite two hymns to Hecate, my matron goddess. My two dobs love to come in and sit on either side of me and get pets while I do that. When I draw a single tarot card to learn about, um, oh, then I draw a single tarot card to learn about. <laughs> After blowing out the candles, I replace the water on my ancestor altar and light a candle, electric if I will not be home, for Bridget. I then cast for a rune of the day. I note it, which rune the sun and moon are in that day in my notebook, and look to see if I have any magical workings planned for that day. Finally, if it's a weekday, I listen to the Witch Daily Show on my drive to work. It's a great way to start my day. I'm curious to hear what others do, because who knows? I might change things up. That's Thank you for sharing, Teresa. All right, so we are wrapping up this episode of the Witch Daily Show. I want to give a shout out to listener Veronica. Veronica, you charming Arcadian muskox. Monica Moon, you rule-breaking esoteric kitten. Supercabria, you talented, powerful selkie. And Catherine Oster, you perfect, scintillating newborn baby. Uh, we do have a card pull today. I have found the book in my car post-move. Yay for me. And our uh, card today is Bitch from Roast Iconic Oracle. And let's see what that means, even though I possibly have an idea. Uh, you are being a bitch. <laughs> or just making sure they can't take advantage of you. Stand up for yourself and make sure you don't steamroll anyone in the process. Do no harm, but take no shit. All right, witches. That's all I've got for you today. Don't forget any books, decks, headlines, sources. Anything we talk about today can be found in the podcast episode description or witchpod.com. And we'll talk again tomorrow. Bye. Witches, we hope you have a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness and confidence. Links for this week's episodes, our website, Patreon, along with a free daily card pull can be found at witchpod.com. One stop for everything we talk about. Now, take one more deep breath and have a great day.